Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, and more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God can be found at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Today's message and past messages can be found at our websites for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And yet to the same people, when they claim that they were children of Abraham, in other words, when they claim to be the spiritual seed, in other words, like the stars of Genesis 15, he said no in John 8, 39 through 40. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So look toward heaven, tell the stars, so shall thy seed be, Abraham. So in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 15, Abraham is full of anxiety that he'd have no heir. In verses 4 and 5, God told Abraham, oh, you're going to have an heir, okay. You're going to have not only the first heir I told you about, you're going to have a second heir, spiritual. You'll have physical heirs and you'll have spiritual heirs. And then in verse 6, when Abraham heard that he was going to have a spiritual seed and stars of the heaven, and Abraham responds, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So it says that Abraham believed in the Lord. The Hebrew word there is is the word aman. And here are some other places in Scripture where it's used. In 2 Samuel 2.35, where it speaks of God's establishment, and it says, I will build him a sure house, an Amman house, a sure house. In Isaiah 2.23, it says, I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, an Amman place. So, and also the word is translated steadfast in 1 Samuel 3.20. Samuel was established to be a prophet. Sorry, it's translated as established. Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord, Amon of the Lord. Thy throne shall be established, Amon, forever. So the word Amon has this meaning of being established or being steady or being sure of being. And so in other words, what it means here when it says that he believed in the Lord, it means that Abraham stayed himself. He steadied himself. He established himself on the Lord. So what we've seen in verse 5 is that God makes a promise to Abraham that he'd have a second spiritual seed. And before that, in verse 4, God had promised Abraham that he had, he would have a, a first, a physical seed that would come forth out of his own bowels. Sarah's. And Abraham believed God for both of the seeds, but about the promise of the first physical seed, it says in Romans 4, 17, you might want to turn to this, Romans 4, 17 through 22, we're going to camp out a little bit on that verse. It says... Again, this promise comes to Abraham that he's going to have a physical seed, and then God, it says here, as it is written, I've made thee a father of many nations. That's, again, it says here, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own, body now dead when he was about 100 years old neither yet the deadness of sarah's womb he staggered not 
at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. So it says here, among many things it says, it said when God told Abraham he's going to have a son, he staggered not. And so to not stagger, in other words, to not lose his balance, to not go into vertigo, to not go, to not uh, fall over, we can picture Abraham just steadying himself. We can just picture him, so to speak, as if he put his hand on God's shoulder and said, no, let me, let me just steady myself here a little bit. And that's what it means when he said he believed God. He has steadied himself. He stayed himself. So without God to lean on, these promises were enough to make him just fall over. So Abraham leans on God, he keeps his balance, he keeps from staggering, and he has this one characteristic that's so fixed in his mind. Abraham is really onto this, and this carries him throughout his life, and he believes something about God in verse 17, Romans 4, 17. It says, he believes that God quickens the dead. He believes that about God. He's just absolutely convinced in his life that God is the person who makes the dead come alive again. That's what God does. And that's what we believe. That's the core of our belief also. We as dead, as death, we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He breathed into us, so to speak, back in Genesis, the breath of life. We became a living soul. The Holy Spirit enters into us who is life. And we have confidence that when we die, that we'll live again because we have confidence that God is the one who gives life to the dead. And just like Abraham did, And so he believes this. And what Abraham then does is he draws conclusions not on what he sees. See, what does Abraham see? If he's looking at what he sees in verse 19, he sees his own body, which he sees is now dead. He would describe himself that way. Now dead. Sometimes I feel like going. Anyway, he was about 100 years old. Or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He saw his own body, and it was as good as dead as his hair. And he looks, and all he sees is death, 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 death. That's what he sees. But Abraham doesn't draw his conclusions based on what he sees, because it says he considered not. He considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he draws his conclusions from the word of God. He draws, draws his conclusions from what God said, not from surrounding circumstances, And that's what we do. We don't draw our conclusions from what we see or surrounding circumstances. We draw our conclusions from the word of God. So when it says he considered not, it means that he didn't allow himself to reason about the natural impossibility of this promise. When it says he considered not, it means that he didn't dwell on everything that stood in the way, every obstacle, every roadblock that stood in the way of this promise. But it says in verse 21, instead of that, he was fully persuaded. Isn't that a great term? Fully persuaded. What was he persuaded about? That God was able to perform the promise. It means that Abraham dwelled on who made the promise. He was thinking about God, and he was thinking about his ability to do this, and he reasoned that God was able to do this. And so Abraham was able to believe. Abraham was able to consider not. Abraham was fully persuaded, fully persuaded. That's a person. A person who's fully persuaded is a person who's full of faith. And I hope, as a result of today, that each one of us, me included, I want to be from today more fully persuaded, don't you? When you walk out of here, you want to be like Abraham, more fully persuaded. Fully persuaded is a process, and it always comes about. And and whenever we come to the chapel, 
Our hope and desire should be, I want to leave here more fully persuaded. I hope God persuades you. I hope you're not persuaded by me. That would be bad. <laughs> but, but God persuades you. When you come to our morning devotion times, our prayer should not just be, oh, it, we shouldn't come to the morning devotion. Oh, how much I got to read today? Okay, we, I can get through this. No, no. Our time with God should be, and our prayer should be, Lord, make me more fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Chapter 15 starts off. Abraham, in verse 1, he's full of fear. He's fearful about protection. He's fearful about his provision. Verses 2 and 3, he's full of anxiety about who's going to be his heir. These fears, these anxieties are doubts. And they're like, you want to look at it this way, you can look at those verses like labor pains. This was a painful time for Abraham, but Abraham's going through a process. And finally in verse 6, faith is born. There was peace Abraham's no longer afraid for his protection. He's no longer afraid for his provision. He's no longer anxious about who his heir is going to be. That's our goal, that our doubts and our fears and our anxieties shouldn't be the end, but should be the process, labor pains to give birth to faith, and then peace comes. In our front yard, we have dirt. It's not very interesting. But anyway, we have dirt. Why do we have dirt? Because Cheryl can't decide what ground cover she wants. How long has she been trying to decide? Three years. And so nothing's in there, and it's just dirt. And I'm telling you, that ground is a magnet for every weed in the universe. And it takes so much time to keep the weeds out of that dirt. I mean, I keep telling her, but then she doesn't agree. Plant something, but anyway. Because something keeps the weeds out. Now we can imagine Abraham. He's like a plot of ground, and God is a gardener. So verse 1, God comes in verse 1, and he just, he plants a seed. He plants a seed. He plants two seeds. Two seeds of promise in Abraham. The first seed, Abraham, God's going to be your shield. And then he plants, he covers that up, and he waits. He waits to see what's going to happen with that seed of promise. And then the second seed of promise, he comes along, he clears the ground out, plants the second. Abraham, God's going to be your exceeding great reward. And then he covers that up, and he waits to see what's going to happen. And then he goes on in verse 4, and God plants in Abraham a third seed. A third seed of promise. Abraham, you're going to have a physical heir. It's going to come from your own body. Sarah, and he covers that up. And he waits to see what's going to happen. And then one more time in verse 5, God comes along and he plants a fourth seed. Abraham, you're going to have a spiritual seed that's going to be like the stars of the sky. And he covers that up. Waits to see what's going to happen. And what happens? Verse 6 is what happens. To all those seed of promise that God has put there, Abraham now believes And what does he believe? He believes in the gardener. He believes in the person who planted those seeds of promise. And as Abraham occupies his mind with the thoughts of God and his ability to do what he had promised, then Abraham's belief in God is like a growing plant. And the growing plant germinates more and more. And Abraham's belief in God was like a growing plant that spreads its roots more and more. And Abraham's belief was like a growing plant that spread its branches more and more. And as that growing plant took up the plot of ground, unlike our front yard, that growing plant displaced in Abraham all the weeds of doubt. And Abraham has peace from his doubts as the growing plant takes up more. And as Abraham, as that growing plant then grows and takes up more of the plot in Abraham's heart, unlike our front yard, that growing plant displaces all the weeds of worry in Abraham over what his, who his heir is going to be. And he has peace from that. And the growing plant takes up more of the plot. Unlike our front yard, it displaces all the weeds of Abraham's worries about his wealth. And he has peace over that. 
All that happens to Abraham because he believes God who has given him these four promises. And he believes that God's able to do it. And then it says, not only does he have the benefit of being free from the worries and the peace that he's got, it's wonderful. Like my friend, I have an atheist friend, I have several atheist friends. And one of my atheist friends, you know, we talk about it's tough to be an atheist. But you should have compassion on atheists. We should have society, compassion for atheists. It's not easy to be an atheist. It's not. It's not. And he has this, in life, he has this great peace. He's free from worries. But those aren't the only benefits that come to Abraham because what it says here in verse 6, God counts it to him for righteousness. The word count literally means he reckons it. He puts it on his account. He writes there, righteousness, because he's leaning on God. And those two words are kind of unusual bedfellows there. They don't look like they're related to each other. Believed and righteousness. You know, we don't match up believed and righteousness. We don't think that way. I mean, when, we, when a person believes, we don't think righteous. When a person believes, we think faithful, but not righteous. What's the word we put with, with righteous? Obeyed. Obeyed goes with righteous. Oh, he obeyed. That's righteous. That's the right matchup there. But this verse introduces something totally different. Why? It's a new righteousness. It's a brand new righteousness, which now we can see, oh, there are two kinds of righteousness. The first righteousness, which is from the law, comes from obedience, obeying. That's a righteousness that God guarantees to those who deserve it. The second righteousness, which is from faith, that's a righteousness that God promises to those who do not deserve it. And so the first righteousness to the deserving is called the righteousness of the law. The second righteousness that's altogether new for us is that God guarantees to the undeserving, that's called the righteousness of faith. And those are the terms that are used in Philippians 3, 9, when Paul says his goal in life is, is I don't want, he says, I don't want to be found in him. I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's the righteousness by faith, Philippians 3, 9. So we've seen how the statement, he counted it to him for righteousness, shows us that before, Abraham didn't have any righteousness. He didn't have any righteousness in himself. He was a sinner like us. The only righteousness that Abraham had was the one that he had from God. And that's why in Romans 5, 17, Paul calls this the gift of righteousness. And so we look at verse 6 and we ask the question, why is this the first time that it says he believed God and he counted him for righteousness? Okay, here's a question. Would you say that this was the first time that Abraham believed God? What do you think? No, clearly not. So what other time did Abraham believe God? Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out unto a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went. See, that goes us back to where we were in Genesis 12. Abraham heard God say, get out, get thee out, go, go. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he, he left. So that was by faith. Well, why does it say there that Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness? Because he believed God. But the difference was because here in Genesis 15, it was in a specific promise that Abraham was given, that he believed. Genesis 12, God had promised the land, and it does not say that God imputed righteousness to Abraham because he believed that God was going to give him the land. But here in in, uh, Genesis 15 was not the promise of the land. This was a very special promise. 
And this promise all comes down to one word, and that word is the word seed. So shall thy seed be. And so God did not use the word seeds as in plural, but seed as in one person. That's the point that's explained to us in uh, Galatians 3.16, where it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So in other words, by using the singular word seed, it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this passage in Galatians 3, just to be fair, is referring to Genesis 22, but it also in that portion speaks of thy seed as the stars of heaven. So what's God saying in Genesis 15:5? Abraham, you see all those stars up there? That's your seed. And there are many believers, but they're all together as one. They're all together as one. They're one body, my body, the Lord Jesus Christ, his church, his body. So as one of Abraham's descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ would also come. As one of his physical descendants, the Lord Jesus Christ would come, and then he would unite all the spiritual seed together in himself. And that's why the word thy seed is so important in Genesis 15, 5, because it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because Abraham believed the promise about the Lord Jesus Christ, his faith was counted to him for righteousness. And that's true of every person. A person is not counted as righteous for believing any promise of God. A person is not counted as righteous because he believes God is not going to destroy the earth again with water. That was a promise. No, he's counted as righteous because he believes the promise about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful what God counts as righteousness. We take our place alongside undeserving Abraham with no righteousness in ourselves. We take our place alongside of undeserving Abraham who called on God to forgive him for his sins. We take our place next to undeserving Abraham who believed God's promise to save him through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And along with undeserving Abraham, we've put out our hand. We take also the gift of righteousness. Now, what we see here is that he says now in verse seven, I brought thee out to give thee. So here he goes on and he explains more that he has brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of the land of idolatry. And then Abraham does something very human, which we really love about this chapter. He says, whereby shall I know? Now again, it's very human. You know, he says, whereby shall I know I'm gonna inherit this? Because God has again mentioned the land to him. And so he's asking God to help him. He's not complaining. He's not complaining. He's just being honest. He's saying, Lord, help me. It's just like that father of the sick child in Mark 9, 24, where it says that he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. This is what Abraham's doing. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, he's, I'm a stranger in a strange land here. It wasn't wrong what Abraham was doing. He was just being honest. I mean, after all, we think of John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist, who makes the proclamation in John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And so what happens to him? He gets into prison. It's a dark time in his life. He has a time of doubt. He sends messengers in Matthew eleven two through 5. John had heard of prison, the works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again. Notice that word. Again. Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, and so forth. So John's in the darkness, and Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, he did not reply to John. John, what's the matter with you? You prepared Israel for my coming. You baptized me. You proclaimed that I was the Lamb of God. Get a grip, John. He didn't do that. 
He patiently helped John out of his darkness, and, and he says, just, okay, let's tell him again what you heard, what you saw. Just remind him. Very gentle, very understanding. Sometimes you and I go through these personal dark times of doubt, and that's the time when we take our place next to John the Baptist and say, art thou he? That's the time we take our place next to Abraham and say, whereby shall I know? God gave Abraham then an answer. Very interesting reassurance. He's going to fulfill the promise to give Abraham the land. First of all, he told Abraham, go get a heifer, a doe, a ram, all three years old. These the animals speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three large animals are all domesticated. They're not wild animals. They were tamed animals. They didn't need to be captured from the wild. And the three animals were all part of Abraham's flock. They came to Abraham. I still remember in the 70s, I have these memories. Anyway, <laughs> when after working with our goats to bleed them for antibodies, how they became tamed. And it just amazed me how they became tamed. And I remember how after they became tamed, they would let me lead them to the squeeze chute to bleed them every two weeks, which is what we do. And at the bleed chute, we lift up their heads, secure their heads to get access to their juggler vein. And I still remember the first time one of our goats, it was Lorraine, if you want to know, Anyway, the first time one of our goats got into the squeeze chute, she lifted up her head. It just amazed me. I was so overwhelmed. I could have kissed her, but then Cheryl would have been jealous. So, <laughs> and today, our goats willingly come in every two weeks to the squeeze chute, and some of them still do that. They still lift up their heads to expose their jugglers for us, give us access. That taming, that cooperation comes because we've worked with the goats. These three animals were all part of Abraham's flocks, and they, like our goats, were willing to be led, even though in their case, it was to be led to their slaughter. That cooperation and willingness of being led speaks of how the Lord Jesus Christ was a willing servant. As it says of him in Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And it says in Isaiah 53, 7, he's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. And that's why he said in John 10, 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. So just like our goats that lift its head to be bled and just like Abraham's heifer and goat and ram, all these animals were willing servants to serve man's needs. And so with the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a willing servant to serve man's need for salvation. And then there were three types of animals that were chosen. The heifer speaks of the freshness of strength. That speaks of how the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off in the midst of his days. He was, as in Isaiah 53, 8, he was cut off out of the land of the living. He was a young man. And next, the goat. The goat was the sin offering. That reminds us of how the priest would put his hand over the head of the goat and confess the sins, and the goat would be now symbolized the sins were upon him as he was sacrificed. That reminds us how the Lord Jesus Christ became sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And then the ram speaks of consecration. The ram with the shoulders would be waved before the Lord as a symbol of consecration. That speaks of wholehearted consecration, his wholehearted consecration to God. And so I think, I'm sorry, but we'll have to stop here because time's run out on us, but we'll continue with this next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our perfect sacrifice. Thank you that we can see him in the scriptures and having seen him, Lord, our hearts burn within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at tomcantor.org. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.